daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss. I'm Ulysses Sombrano. Host of Locked On Rays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for making the Locked On Rays podcast your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Rays is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube at Locked On Rays. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Rays. And you can email us anytime, LockedOnRays at gmail.com. Well, last week, Ulysses, we had on Cody Decker, and he was a real fun conversation. And this week, we have another little surprise for the Locked on Rays listenership out there, and that is Tampa Bay Rays relief pitcher Colin Poche. Colin Poche will be part of the show and joins the show this entire week. Similar to Cody Decker, he uh, spoke to us for a good 90 minutes, very forthright open-ended and and fun to talk to. I think every race fan is going to want to listen to what Colin has to say. I mean, we, we, we go through the gamut uh, on uh, on this 90-minute interview. Of course, like you guys know already, if you can't get enough and you just want it all, guess what? It's really simple. You go to YouTube, you search Locked On Race, and if you're not subscribed to the channel, you hit that subscribe button, mm-hmm. and then you enjoy all 90 minutes in one sitting. Uh, so that's what you can do. But remember, it's going to be a four part interview if you're just audio only. Yes. And, uh, part one today, uh, Colin talks about his rehab from Tommy John surgery. He talks about getting traded from the diamondbacks to the Rays back in 2018, why his fastball is such an effective pitch. And he takes us back to his big league debut at Fenway park. So a lot of good stuff from him in part one of this interview. So without further ado, let's get to Colin Poche. Today, we have a very special guest, again, another special guest on the podcast, and that is Tampa Bay Rays relief pitcher, Colin Poche. Colin, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited. Well, first of all, it's January. So happy new year, Colin. How were the holidays? How did you spend uh, the holidays? Did you go somewhere? Did you stay in Florida? Tell us about that. Um, we actually stayed in Florida. Um, my wife and I, we actually got married in uh, November. So we, we stayed at the house and my family, my parents, my brother came in town and, you know, we did Christmas here. So uh, it was a really good holiday. It's good to see him. Good to have him out in Florida. Um, but I'm excited for, you know, 2022 and everything that comes with it. Well, talking about 2022, let's talk about your progression to getting to 2022. Uh, Mm -hmm. You've been on the shelf with Tommy John. It's your second time. Uh, Mm -hmm. I saw that you also had one in 2014. Now, has there been any difference between the first TJ to the second one? How's the the rehab progressing? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, the, the rehab, the whole progress is, it's pretty much the same. Um, with your second one, everything's a little more drawn out. So I think the first one I was, you know, throwing after four months and the second one, you got to wait till six. So um, the timeline is just a lot wider. And so that, that brings its own set of challenges um, just mentally, you know, like, just one, what, what do you do with the time and how do you, you know, make sure that you're actually getting better and progressing in your rehab. Um, so the first one, the first one wasn't as bad just being in college. Um, you know, I was with the team, I was at Dallas Baptist. 
Um, they were bringing me on road trips. I was actually like the the bullpen coach down there. So they gave me a job, you know, picking up the phones and getting guys warm. Um, so, you know, I had something to do, which was nice. Um, the second one was, was a little tough with COVID um, and the restrictions on, you know, guys being certain places. They kind of had, you know, we had a group of like five or six rehab guys that we kind of had to get in and out in the morning. So we were a little secluded from the team. So that, that makes it a little harder just to kind of, you know, stay focused and locked in mentally. But, um, you know, I can't say enough good things about the training staff we have. Um, Joe Benj, the head trainer, and Paul Harker is our, um, you know, major league medical coordinator who handles the rehab. And um, Paul just really shows up for us every day, um, puts in so much work for all the guys. And you can tell he truly cares about it, which, which makes the whole process a little bit easier. Now, being away from the team, probably is not the thing that you want to hear uh, as a major leaguer. You, you, you get into a routine and then that's taken away from you. I think we all got a little bit something of that taken away from us with, with COVID. But in your case particularly, what has been going on? I mean, ha have you been reading more? Have you been watching your Netflix to-do uh, <laughs> shows? Are, are, you, are you a crazy video gamer? What, what have you been yeah. doing? Kind of, you know, not not get stuck at home or something like a that. A little bit of everything. Um, I do like video games. Uh, during the season, it was a lot easier because I would come home and, you know, watch the games. Um, so that was nice to just try to stay locked in that way. Um, last last December, we got an eight-week-old puppy, uh, a golden retriever. So that that's kind of how I've been trying to take up my time is playing with him and taking him on walks and all that stuff. So I think that really helped a lot over the last – you know, almost two years now. And, and that's what, you know, that's what made it tough is I get hurt 2020 before that season. So I'm away from the team that year. And then the whole 162 game schedule, I'm away from the team. And so it's just, it was tough because you get your identity gets so wrapped up in being a baseball player and, you know, going on road trips and just like the structured schedule that comes with it. And then, you know, when that's just gone from your life, it, it leaves just a huge time block that, you don't really know what to do with yourself for a while, but um, you know, on one hand it, it was good to kind of get that mental break away from the game, but that lasted, you know, a month or so and I was itching to get back out there, but um, you know, so hopefully with the lockout and everything that's going on, we can get started on time because I'm not really looking for any delays this year. Yeah. When you, I, I, I want to kind of see the, the mind of a, a professional baseball player as a fan, I know what, how I am as a fan. I sometimes, mm -hmm. Uh, drink a cold one. I, I'm sometimes on Baseball Savant uh, while mm -hmm. watching the game. Maybe I'm on Twitter spilling out my yeah. thoughts about the game. What is Colin Pochet as a fan uh, watching the games, uh, at least in 2021? How are you? Was it background noise or were you also on Baseball Savant or on Twitter? What What <laughs> is Pochet like? Uh, when I'm watching the games, I, I do get pretty locked in on just kind of like what, what the pitcher's thinking in certain situations and trying to figure out what the, what the hitter's thinking. But I am actually a big baseball savant fan. Um, I found the uh, the random video feature where you can go and like you can load a random video and they have like just a random pitch or like you hitting a guy or a strikeout. So there there were definitely days where I get stuck just reloading different K videos of myself to kind of just pretend like I'm back out there and get that yeah. feeling again. So I'm definitely guilty of you know, kind of feeling myself through, through baseball savant when, when I need a little confidence boost. 
Certainly, certainly. And Colin, going back a little bit, uh, when you found out, I guess, just want to make sure my timeline was right or is right. 2018 was when you were traded from the Diamondbacks to the Rays. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. May May 1st of 2018. Okay. When you got that call or got the information that you had been shipped off to the Tampa Bay Rays organization, what were kind of your initial thoughts? Were Was it sort of a little bit of nervousness or excitement or um, a little bit of mixed emotions, knowing that you are going to have to pack up and go to a new organization, also knowing that the Rays are widely regarded as very influential and, and very pitching-driven mm-hmm. and very, uh, I guess, state-of-the-art and, and cutting-edge when it comes to right. developing their pitchers and also a, a team, a franchise that isn't afraid to give playing time to young players. Just what was mm-hmm. kind of your emotions going through that on, on the day of that trade? Um, so at first it's, it's funny you say you got to pack up and move because, um, it was a pretty unique situation when I did get traded. Um, Montgomery, the Rays double A team was in town playing, uh, Jackson who I was playing for at the time. So I got traded, I packed up my locker. Um, I walked through two doors and I was with my new team. So it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't your typical get on a plane and, you know, fly to your new team. It was just a couple doors down, but um it was also you know pretty unique just just because I was a player to be named later in that trade so the the actual trade was made you know months in advance um and you know word gets around so in spring training in spring training they're even telling us with the D-backs like you know a couple of you guys are going there's going to be scouts here so it's just like a, a good reminder that no matter what team you're with there's always 29 others that are watching um, and so as spring training goes on, you know, we kind of found out that there's a there's a list of players who are on this player to be named later list. And so um, the Rays have scouts everywhere. So it's it's pretty evident, you know, who's on the list. The scout is, you know, sitting behind the bullpen and a couple guys warm up and he doesn't move. And I start throwing and he gets his video camera out and stuff. So they're not too subtle about it. But um, as the date came came closer to when they had to make that pick. Um, I had been throwing really well in double A. So, you know, I, I thought there was a good chance that I would get moved. And, uh, you know, when it actually happened, I was excited. Um, you know, you hear so many good things about the Rays development. And, you know, what? like you said, as a young player, you're going to get to play. Um, at the time, this was before before the first 90 win season. So, you know, I was a little unsure of what of what kind of like team they had at the big league level. But um, I knew it would be a good chance for me to, you know, move up a level and start knocking on the door to the big leagues. So, um, you know, that's that's what it's all about for a player. And so, you know, when when I got that call, I was I was just really excited to to join the team and, you know, kind of find out the secret sauce, I guess, on on how they get the most out of people. And, um, you know, it's not always what you think, but but they do they do a lot of things special here. And, uh, you know, one of the things they do is just keep it really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, they find guys with, with really good stuff, you know, high, high vertical break fastballs or guys who can, you know, get the horizontal break on the fastball and, um, just, just guys with outlier stuff of any kind who maybe had different issues with other organizations throwing strikes. And, um, they basically just, just come up to you and say, like, they show you how your stuff plays and, and why your stuff is so good. And, and if you're not the guy who can pick corners on the plate, they tell you to just throw it down the middle aim for the middle and, you know, let your misses take you to the corner and, and just try to outstuff the hitter. 
So I, I think one of the things they do really well when they bring guys over is they take a ton of pressure off you and basically just, just say throw the ball over the dish and, and your stuff is good enough to, to work itself out. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because they taste so good you'll want to eat them. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. That's not Built Bar. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Well, guess what? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams sugar, 4 net, uh, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. And guess what's better? Built Bar. So what do you have to do? You go to Built.com, you use promo code LOCKED15, and you get 15% off your order. So remember, today, go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you will get 15% off your order at Built.com. I'm sure in the future, as technology continues to grow and thrive, that that's going to be sort of the next wave for professional Mm -hmm. sports teams and pro uh, baseball organizations is figuring out what really causes injuries for particular types of guys. So, uh, Colin, going back a little bit. So you started becoming or developing uh, as a pitcher at 16 years old. Is that right? That was, yeah, that was the first time I really started pitching pretty seriously. Um, when I was young, I just, I was always smaller than everybody and I didn't throw hard. So, you know, no one really put me on the mound and, uh, I was thankful to have a coach in summer travel ball who, who saw potential in me just, just through the way I threw the ball, even though, you know, the velo wasn't there. And he was kind of, you know, the first person to tell me like at the time it was like, I think, you know, you can be good enough to pitch in college. And so at the time that was what I wanted to do. And so I I ran with that and, you know, I'm really, I'm really thankful for him because, you know, who knows if I didn't have that influence in my life, if I would have been pushed towards getting on the mound, because I sure, I know I sure wouldn't have made it as a hitter. (laughs) Yeah. That was my question is, you know, growing up who you idolized or, or grew up watching, I guess, was it more of a a hitter out there in, in pro baseball or, or a couple guys out there? Like yeah, who, who so, was kind of your role model growing up? Yeah, I grew up in Dallas. So I was a big Rangers fan. Um, Michael Young was my favorite player growing up, but uh, I always tried to idolize Vladimir Guerrero. Um, just, I, I, you know, I liked how we played right field. Um, I was probably like the worst player. So I always got stuck in right field too. So I was like, <laughs> if I'm going to do anything in right field. I'm going to be like Vlad Guerrero. So <laughs> I was wearing 27, you know, and I took a lot of pride in trying to throw guys out from the outfield and stuff. Mm. But, um, yeah, those, those two were definitely my favorite. And I definitely, uh, you know, I took Vlad Guerrero's style of swinging at every pitch I could, <laughs> like just not as <laughs> successful as him. Is that one guy you would have liked to have faced, uh, you know, if, if the opportunity would have come, uh, a, a Michael Young, a Vlad Guerrero, is there somebody that you would have been like, man, I really would have tried to get my fastball up at the top of the zone to Vladdy. I, I, I would feel more comfortable pitching to Vlad Guerrero. Just, mm. just the free swinging guys who they look like they don't have an approach. They seem they're a lot easier to deal with than, you know, someone like Michael Young, who's, 
you know, looking to work the at bat and doesn't swing at pitches out of the zone. You know, those, those guys give pitchers a lot more, a lot more issues. Um, you know, guys like Alex Bregman and, and Michael Brantley is like the big one to me is like, mm-hmm. he may be not as dangerous as other hitters, but it's just the most frustrating at bat because he knows what you're thinking and like he doesn't swing at pitches off the zone, but if you throw it over the middle, he's going to do damage. So if I had to pick one, I, w- I would much rather pick the v- pitch to Vladdy than Michael Young. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Now, talking about you pitching, being on the mound, take us back to that MLB debut. Uh, what was it like? Uh, you know, I, 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 I talked to, uh, to, to Cody Decker uh, uh, on the show last week about mm-hmm. this. Uh, you know, I love those videos. I'm a sucker for those Twitter videos of an of, of a minor league guy getting the call. I'm the Wander Franco call up. I mean, yeah. any call up. I'm just like, oh man, like I just like, wow, that must be so cool. Can you take us back to that moment? What was it like? Who told you? Who was your first call? Like the emotions, everything, and then finally walking in Fenway and being like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm a major league pitcher. Yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing. We were we were in Gwinnett. Um, we just finished BP you know, get ready for a game. Everyone's in the clubhouse, you know, getting ready, playing cards. And um, Brady Williams just kind of comes out, the manager, and makes makes an announcement in front of the whole team and is like, kind of like calls my name and I look and he's like, you're going to the big leagues. And then, you know, everyone starts cheering and everything. And um, like, I didn't know what to do at first. Like I didn't know who to thank or whatever. But um, so then I, I started packing up my bags, got outside. I called um, – my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, I called her, I called my parents, my brother, um, just told him to, you know, get the, get to Boston as quick as you can. Um, and so it was, it was just, everything happened so fast, you know, I'm on a plane that night, I'm in Boston. Um, the next day was even more hectic. We had a double header, but I was only getting called up for the second game. And so it was one of those double headers where like, there's only an hour between games uh, and for whatever reason, there's like an MLB rule, like you can't show up unless you're actually activated on the roster. So I couldn't show up until the first game had ended. So I'm sitting in, in the hotel in Boston, you know, with my family, just kind of waiting. Um, eighth inning comes around. I'm like, all right, like, you know, we're only a mile and a half from the stadium, but I'm sure traffic's pretty bad. Like I'll, I'll call an Uber. Mm-hmm. So I get in the Uber and some something was going on in Boston that weekend, a big parade. And so the streets are packed. Uh, I'm sitting in the Uber and I'm not moving and I'm just watching the game on my phone, you know, eighth inning goes, ninth inning goes, the game ends. I'm still in the Uber. So the game ends and I, I start, I, go, I say, okay, the game next game starts in an hour. So I start the timer and I'm sitting in the Uber, like watching the map, looking at the timer and 10 minutes go by and I, I went like a quarter mile. The next five minutes go by and I hadn't moved and I look and I'm like, just under a mile from the stadium. I've got my, my huge raised duffel bag. Um, they had just emptied Fenway Park, so all 45,000 people at the game. Oh, are, oh my God. God. This is giving uh, me an ulcer. Oh, my yeah, God. Me, me too. I'm sitting in the back of that car, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not going to make the game. They're just going to send me back to AAA, and I'm never going to get called up again. And this is, this is my story. This is how it ends. No. So I just look at the Uber driver, and I'm like, man, like I'm going to get out. I'm just going to walk it. So I get my huge duffel bag and I just start, I'm basically sprinting. I'm probably power walking, but I'm, I'm, I'm hustling and the fans are all going the opposite direction. I'm carrying my huge, you know, baby blue raised bag. I couldn't stand out anymore. I'm trying to, I'm like pushing people out of the way. Um, I finally get to Fenway. 
you know, maybe 30 minutes to the game and I'm looking for the clubby to let me in. He lets me in and he's like, dude, like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you so sweaty? <laughs> I got sweat just dripping off my face. Oh no! And so like they rush me in, get me a uniform. I get dressed. I go on the field. There's maybe, maybe 10 minutes till game time. You know, I play a little catch warming up. Like I'm the starting pitcher. And, uh, you know, we ended up, we ended up using an opener that day. So Ryan Stanek was starting. Um, he goes like an inning and a third and then they bring me in in the second inning. So it was like, I show up to the ballpark and literally within, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, I'm, I'm on the mound in Fenway making my debut and at the time I w- it was so stressful just just hoping I would get out there but you know looking back now I think everything was so condensed that it, it might have helped me stay calm because I didn't really have time to like be nervous or freak out about what I was doing it was just you know I was more worried about getting dressed and on the field in time so <laughs> it was it was very stressful but um you know I threw I threw pretty well I was happy with the way I threw the ball that day and I just you know, the, the moments after, after I pitched, just sitting in the dugout, you know, staring at Fenway, I'd never been there before. So just being in Fenway on a Saturday night for the first time, as you know, they're singing sweet Caroline and everything. It was just, it was just perfect. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about the way it happened. And it's a, it's a pretty cool story to be able to tell. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website. So sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code locked on L O C K E D O N. Again, that's L O C K E D O N to get started with that generous welcome bonus from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online, it is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, and it's where the game starts. Now, in a personal level, what did the race tell you when you came in? And and, and what, what did it instruct you? What did they say? That was it the pitch mix? Was it pitching to your mm-hmm. strengths? Um, what was it exactly that they said, hey, Colin? This is what you need to do to be, in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was it was really just keeping my fastball up in the zone um, and going fastball heavy, using using the breaking ball when I needed to. Um, ideally, using it more than I've used it in the past. But um, I, I did have a good understanding of of who I was as a pitcher before, um, knowing that I needed to throw the ball up to get those swing and misses and stuff. So when I got over, they just kind of reinforced that, you know, this is who you are. This is, this is how you're going to get guys out. And, um, when you look at their track record, it's, it's pretty easy to buy into what they're saying. When did you realize that that fastball of yours? I mean, I've looked it up on baseball savant. You throw it about 88, 89% of the time Mm -hmm. when you were healthy, it doesn't have incredible velocity, but it gets a ton of vertical movement. Uh, was there a certain point, was it throughout college, high school, or when you got into the pro ranks where it was sort of evident that, man, this could be sort of my meal ticket to get me, uh, through professional baseball and into the big leagues eventually. Um, yeah, like when I, I didn't start pitching until I was maybe 16 and I always, I didn't throw hard at the time, but I was, I was getting guys to swing and miss. So I, I knew there was something there. 
Um, I just didn't know what. And then I kind of got into college and, um, you know, got away from it. Um, you know, coaches have their agendas. They have, they have certain ways they want pitchers to pitch. Um, I was in an organization, a program that, um, wanted guys to throw sinkers and sliders. Um, so I was messing around with the two seam for a couple of years and obviously just couldn't, couldn't get it right. Um, and then once I got to DBU, we had a pitching coach, Wes Johnson, who's actually the pitching coach with the twins now. Um, and he was the first one to introduce me to TrackMan and everything. And, and he, you know, I throw my first bullpen off, off Tommy John and he's looking at the numbers and, you know, he's like, these are special. He's like, you got this crazy vertical break on your fastball. And it's the first time I'd ever heard that. So I'm thinking, Oh, vertical break. Like I'm, I'm sinking the ball pretty well. I'm like, finally, I learned how to sink it. And then, you know, so I'm messing with the two seam again the next day. And he's just kind of like, what are you doing? Like, this is not, not who you are. And so he finally told me like, it's, it's vertical break going the other way. Like it's going up almost. And so, you know, at then I kind of learned that it was, it was different, but um, even that year and into my first year of pro ball, I didn't rely solely on my fastball. Like I do now, I think, um, I think my first full season in, in pro ball 2017 is kind of where I figured out the fastball is special. Um, just, just, you know, I was, I was in the low nineties, 90, 91 in extended spring training and I was just striking a ton of guys out. And so I knew, um, you know, I knew, I knew there was something there, but it's, it's just tough to, it's tough to convince the people that that plays at the next level. So that was always the issue was, okay, you're in extended, you're throwing fastballs by hitters, but like, mm -hmm. it's not going to work when you get to a ball and high a, and then, you know, you hear the same thing, like, Oh, well that big jump is double a, and like those hitters are going to be able to catch up to it. And, you know, in my head, I thought, you know, no way they're going to catch up to it, but um, it's hard to convince people on the outside until you actually do it. So, really the only way because it's not 99 on the radar gun and you know all those all those numbers that mm -hmm. that pop out immediately so i really just had to kind of go prove myself and and prove that my stuff played no matter no matter where it is and um you know i think i did that for the most part um once i got to the big leagues i probably overexposed the fastball a little and uh need to get back into a little bit more of a mix but um, the fastball is definitely not going away. The percentages are always just going to be high just, just because that's who I am. And, you know, I'm not going to, not going to try to be someone I'm not and potentially, you know, get burned on something that's not my best pitch. So when I go out there, you know, there's not a huge secret on what I'm doing, but I have a lot of conviction behind the fastball and I trust, I trust it when I throw it. Now, how does that work if, let's say, the, the fastball is still is go going to be the, the major pitch, obviously? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I believe it was 88, 90% uh, of the time that you, did, that you threw it mm -hmm. in 2019. Uh, let's say if you step back a little, are you working on a new pitch after Tommy John? Or is it just like, no, I'm just going to you know, do what I've always done, just reverse the splits a little bit? Yeah, I, I think it's more so do, do kind of what I've always done. Um, you know, my slider, I'd never thought it was like, it was that great. But as the year went on in 2019, I started to throw it more and it was starting to look pretty good. And, and that's something even the Rays had told me is, you know, they look at all the numbers and they say that it grades out pretty high. So they're, they're wanting me to use it more. So I think, um, you know, I think if I get in that 70, 75% usage rate with the fastball, that's probably a good spot for me where, you know, the slider still keeping them off their toes and everything and keeping them off balance. But um, ideally, you know, I think a curveball, a big, a big 12, six curveball would pair really well just with that heater and kind of give them something to think about. But, 
Um, that's kind of honestly always been the pitch that's gave my elbow issues. Um, when I, when I tore my UCL the first time it was, you know, I started throwing a curveball that year. Um, and then even a little bit this year, my, my, the, in 2020, when I hurt my elbow again, my slider, um, I was starting to just get to the front of the ball with my fingers a little, and it was mm-hmm. on track, man, it was showing more of like a curveball slurve profile. And so, um, that's when I started to hurt again. So I'm thinking there's something just like with the extra supination of the wrist is like when I get, I'm trying to get it in the camera, when I get more to like this position, it, I don't know if it exposes my elbow or the muscles that protect that ligament kind of turn off when I get to too much supination of my wrist. So, you know, if on paper, it would be a really good pitch mix, but it's, it's something I'm definitely not willing to play with anymore. (laughs) You know, that's a shame. I was going to say, you know, you've got a pretty good curveball there in your teammate, Mm -hmm. Tyler Glass, who unfortunately is, of course, hurt. Conspiracy theory, maybe curveballs are a tricky, tricky pitch. Could be. Could be. You know, they always say, like, breaking balls aren't good. And, and, you know, there's there's research showing that, um, you know, the fastball is actually the most stressful, just the amount of force that is put on the elbow because it's it's thrown the hardest and everything. But. You know, I, I have my theories on on I I do think curveballs are probably the most dangerous and sliders there. Just um, those those forearm muscles that protect your UCL on the fastball, they're able to stay on there. But you know, my theory is kind of when you turn your wrist that way, you're not able to pr- use those same muscles to protect your forearm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I'm just kind of throwing throwing darts in the dark there. Right. But that's, that's through my experience, at least with curveballs, that's been always the most you know stressful on my elbow but um i don't and that, i don't think anybody really knows and that's that's the issue and that's it's also a dangerous thing even for me to say oh curveballs are dangerous when i really don't know but there could be something to it okay that wraps up part one of our conversation with tampa bay rays relief pitcher colin poche we'll drop part two part three and part four of that interview later on this week Thank you for making the Locked on Rays podcast your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, the Locked on Bets podcast. That is also free and available on all platforms. Hope you all have a wonderful day and we will talk to you tomorrow.